welcome to This Is What Blind Looks Like podcast. This is our sixth episode, and we are talking about a very, very... Well, let's just say we've been hinting about this topic that we would discuss. And that is the topic of guide dogs. But first, let's go on with our usual. Kimberly, how was your week? It was good. Um, just did same old, same old, and it's getting a little nicer here where I live, and um, very ready for summer. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah, I love the nicer weather, that's for sure. It's so nice to just go out and go for a walk and enjoy the nice day. Well, how was your week? My week was good. I was actually up in Minneapolis for two days, and I was touring a training center that I am hoping to get into. Um, I really loved Minneapolis. I like the city. It has really good vibes. Um, I love the atmosphere, the transportation, how they have the light rail, the city bus, as well as, you know, cabs and rideshare services. But I love the light rail. I think it's very convenient. And I also went to Mall of America for the first time. There was a lot to do, a lot to see. It was very overwhelming, but I do hope to make it out there a few times to really explore some more because I only got to explore so much and that wasn't even the end of it. But it was great. It was great. Totally. All right. Yeah. So let us welcome our first guest. Is she on? Hello. 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 Hi. Hi. Hi there. How are you? Wonderful. How are you? I am good. So, guys, this is our first guest, Kristen Miller, and she went through the program at Fidelco, which is a guide dog school in Connecticut. Yes. And they only breed German Shepherds. Yes. Wonderful breed. (laughs) So, before we start asking you a little bit of questions, Mm -hmm. um... I'm going to kind of go and start talking about what a service dog is and what it isn't and all that kind of stuff. Okay. So, I mean, if you want to chime in, that'll be cool because, like, we've we've never... I think this will be the first time we'll have a guest chime in and stuff oh, like yeah. that. But chime in on our little intro spiels, we call them. Intro, like, intro spiels. That's what we do for every topic is we kind of just introduce mm-hmm. it. So, but anyway, here we go. So, guide dogs, they're great. All service animals are great. Uh, They are all, they all serve one purpose, and that purpose is to mitigate their handler's disability. Um, So, we're going to start talking about what a service dog is and what it is not. And we're going to talk about the differences between a service dog, an emotional support animal, and a therapy dog. Because... There's been a lot of controversies, well, not controversies, but, like, issues as of late regarding service animals and the general public not knowing what they are and thinking that they can just slap a a vest on their pet dog, Fluffy, and take Fluffy everywhere. <laughs> so, okay. So, as I said, a service dog is a dog that is trained to perform a certain task, whether it be guiding, a medical alert, or whether it be helping their handler if they're 
anxious or if they have a trigger due to post-traumatic stress or um, alerting a diabetic that they have low blood sugar or alerting somebody that they're going to go into a seizure. Just a myriad of things or like um, helping somebody with a physical disability like open doors or taking off shoes or just so many things. You can Google it for yourself. But that's what a service dog is. And what isn't a service dog, a service animal is not a dog that is just there to provide comfort. That's an emotional support animal. Emotional support animals are only allowed in airplane cabins or uh, no pets housing, because I know like some apartments have that. But here's the catch. In order to have your dog be an emotional support animal, you have to have a doctor's note basically prescribing that animal to you. So let's just say that Susan has depression and she really benefits from an emotional support animal. And an emotional support animal can be a dog, can be a cat, can be anything that just provides comfort by just solely being there. They don't require training, specialized training or anything. So then, so Susan would go to her doctor and say, hey, I would really benefit from a cat or an animal. Like I feel that just them being there would help me comfort my mood. And then the doctor would go on, go on to write a prescription of some sort um, stating that Susan needs to have a dog or cat in the home that will comfort her just by being there and it'll help better her mood. So then she would show that to her apartment complex or whatever and they would allow it, I guess. I mean, I've never I've never had to do that, but that's sort of my understanding unless I'm missing anything. Um, Kristen, I don't know if you want to chime in. Um, well, a big difference, and I, I, uh, my Skype was cutting out for a second, so I'm not sure if you mentioned this, but, um, service animals have public access, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Um, the emotional support animals do not, you know, and that the service animals also are trained to do at least one task. That mitigates the handler's disability where an emotional support animal does nothing but sit there and look pretty. Right. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. And a therapy dog, a therapy dog, what they do is they have to go through, like, at least their canine good citizen. Um, most, Most of the times, like, therapy dog organizations will have classes for the dog to take. And those dogs are only only allowed in hospitals or nursing homes or libraries and they're there to just spend time with with the people there like they can pet them and you know at least it's like they provide comfort and they and they're good to have but they're just only allowed in those places and it's usually through a therapy dog organization that 
they are with. Right. They're kind of like an emotional support animal, but they have, because that, that is what they're, you know, they are used for, for support emotionally for, for the people that they visit. But they're kind of like, they're an emotional support animal with a legitimate job. Um, not saying that Isas are not legitimate, but they are actually trained to do what they do um, and trained behaviorally to be in these public places um, where most just emotional support animals for somebody just Jojo off the street. Usually they're not trained for any kind of public access work. Right, exactly. And let's talk about public access a little bit. So basically any service animal, this isn't just guide dogs, but any service animal when they're puppies, um, if they are with, if they are with a program, an organization, they will typically go to a puppy raiser and they will be raised and socialized, not just basic obedience, but how to behave in public, um, and how to have good manners in public before they are able to serve somebody with a disability. Yes. That's just to put it, you know, short and sweet. That's what public access is. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, there are many service dogs, but the service dogs that we are focusing today are is obviously the guide dogs. So what is a guide dog and what is its purpose? Should I take this one? Or? Yeah, you can take that one. We'll, we'll give you some okay. time to talk. A guide dog is a dog that is trained to work with the blind, that the blind will go through some sort of training or schooling the owner and um, be matched with the dog. And I just want to mention that when going through trainings or programs that there's an application process and you might not get into the school or program that you want to right away. But one of the very key elements in getting accepted to get a guide dog is having strong cane skills that we kind of mentioned in our last episode. And that is because there are certain there are certain instances in which you might not be able to bring your guide dog or the guide dog is sick or just various reasons on why it wouldn't be suitable for your guide dog to come with you or because they can't and in that case you can't call into work because your guide dog's sick you know you still have to get to the places you need and so in those few instances, it's really important that you have the cane skills on top of the skills to get a guide dog that can help you in this those situations. In other situations, people find this kind of interesting, are not suitable for guide dogs. Like in loud areas, like if you're at a wedding and they're playing loud music or you, um, I'm pretty sure you won't see a guide dog in a club. Um, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> and um, when you walk down the street, if there's sirens, um, the best thing to do is to stop because dogs have a very sensitive, are very sensitive to noise. And so that would be like someone poking you while you're driving or something. Like it's just 
very distracting to them. And instead of continue to work them through that noise, it's always best to just stop and wait for the sirens to pass. And also really crowded areas are sometimes not good for them because there's just so many people and things like that. I don't know if you guys wanted to expand on any of that, or maybe I have my information wrong that you wanted to correct or something. Um, Well, I know for Eva, um, she thrives in a crowd. Now, I certainly wouldn't take her to somewhere, like you said, like a club where it's, you know, there are, there is no room for her to work. And there may be instances where I know going to some festival or um, some sort of event may be too crowded for her. But for most things, like I attended, uh, actually back in 2015, excuse me, I attended uh, NFB National Convention Mm -hmm. and it was literally uh, less than a month between her and I getting matched and finishing our training and me going to National Convention. Um, So typically schools don't encourage that kind of huge deal uh, with a team that's so new. Um, But I I already had the trip planned and everything, and I've had dogs before her, so they felt confident that we could handle it. And we did. And, you know, I completely saw what she was capable of being in Orlando, Florida for that week. And even now in crowds, um, she's absolutely amazing. Um, I can go to the mall and walk around by myself. And even if a crowd gets between me and, and where I want to be, um, you know, she can navigate through them and get me right back on track. Uh, she loves hotels. Um, she (laughs) just from, you know, the desk clerk showing me to my room from the elevator to our room. And then turning around and going back out if she needs to go relieve or something, she's got the route down pat. I may not know where I am, but she <laughs> she mm, definitely has right. it. And, you know, so it just, it all depends on the dog itself. Some dogs are not great in crowds. It, it makes them nervous. Um, they're so focused on the fact that they're not supposed to run you into anything or anyone that they kind of shut down because in their eyes it's like, there's too many people here. You're going to brush against people, and that's a no-no. Right. For other dogs that are more uh, what I call the bulldoze dog, which is what I have, um, <laughs> crowds are nothing for her. She she will headbutt people out of her way, no problem. Um, she's like, you know, we're creating our own path. Um, so it, it depends on the dog for that kind of situation. Now, for her, with the sirens thing that you mentioned... Um, that is a thing, uh, depending on where we are and what we are doing, uh, if we're just walking down the sidewalk or whatever and and sirens come up, she may turn around and look at them. If they linger around us, I will stop and wait for them to pass. If they're just driving down the street and they're going to move along quickly, I keep going because typically they, they come and go fairly quickly. Um, so it just, I think it depends on what mostly makes you comfortable as a handler, what the dog is comfortable with and what you guys, what you know that you can handle as a team for the most part. Right. 
Exactly. And one little thing that I wanted to add is uh, last episode we talked about the cane. We talked about how the cane is an obstacle finder while a dog, a guide dog, is an obstacle avoider. Um, so yes. it with the dog, you will be missing that tactile information that you get with the cane. Now, a guide dog isn't for everybody. I will just make that clear. Um Definitely it's not, not for everybody. Um, just because you are blind does not mean that a guide dog is right for you. Um, everyone has their preferences. But anyway, let's. That brings us into what makes somebody eligible for a guide dog. Like what? Um, let's talk about like uh, vision acuity. Like what do most? Or, I should say, all guide dog applications say for guide dog eligibility. Well, for the ones that I have seen, and from what I have understood from schools that I have talked to or been to, if you are legally blind, you are eligible for a guide dog. Now, with that said, there are certain schools that if you have a certain amount of vision... They do not feel that their dogs would be as beneficial to you if you still have a good amount of usable vision. Um, now, I would say 99% of the schools won't do that to you, but I have heard of a couple that the more vision you have, sometimes the less likely it is that you may get a dog from the school or you may be on a longer wait list um, because... The purpose behind a dog is the fact that they are supposed to help you avoid obstacles. They are supposed to show you things. And um, and I have seen this happen with teams. If the handler has too much vision, they don't allow the dog to work. Right. Right. Oh. Exactly. So then, yeah. So then the dog decides, well... I'm with you, but I don't actually have to work. And then there may come a day where that person, you know, the cloud covers just right. There's not enough light. There's not enough, you know, something may go wrong and they may need that dog to work in that instance because their vision isn't as good that day. But the dog is so used to the person doing all the work that then they run into issues. And so that's what schools try to avoid um, as far as if you just because you're legally blind, um, it's it's a real you really have to evaluate your own visual acuity, um, what you are and are not able to do with that vision, um, because schools will definitely go off of that. And I've heard of schools placing people with dogs that mm, I don't know how to how best to describe this. Um, they may place a dog that doesn't have as much self-initiative with someone who has more usable vision. Oh, wow. Whereas with someone who has little to no usable vision, they may place a dog that has more or has better decision-making skills so that the dog can better help that person. Right. Which may sound wrong, but if you think about it, it kind of makes sense. Right. And like we've said before, legal blindness is federally defined as 2200 or less with correction or to have a visual field of 20 degrees or less. That mm -hmm. is the only way that you qualify for a dog. And they also, with the application, they also require you, yes, cane skills are important, but what I have found 
um, and I've talked to a couple of trainers about this as well, as well, yes, they do want you to have good cane skills. The cane skills typically do not apply to using the dog. What applies is your orientation and mobility navigational skills um, because the dog avoid obstacles. So you're obviously not going to need the dog to find an obstacle for you unless it's something you want them to show you. You're going to move around these things very fluidly and quickly um, where a cane, you know, you have to find that obstacle, then tap your way around it. So the way I like to describe that is that you need orientation skills more than actual cane skills because there are some people who have a visual impairment, but they don't actually use a cane. Um, so Mm -hmm. defining someone or saying, you know, if you don't use a cane, you can't get a dog. That's really not how schools look at it because some people may not actually need the cane for navigation. Um, they may have an ID cane for crossing streets, but it's not a tactile feedback cane. I see. Right. That's a good thing. So we're gonna, we're gonna stop our facts there and we'll continue with those facts later. But, um... What I do want to talk about is, Kristen, I want you to tell us a little bit about you and a little bit about why you chose the program you chose and why you chose home training over going away to a guide dog school. Well, as you mentioned, I'm Kristen Miller. I live in El Paso, Texas. Um, I've been here for five years. I originally grew up in North Carolina. Um, I love it here in Texas. So, um, I went to Guiding Eyes before I went to Fidelco. So I have done facility training and home training. Um, what I found for myself, this is not a, this is not kind of across the board thing. This is what best suits the handler involved. But what I found for me is that I had two dogs from Guiding Eyes. My first one I had when I was in high school. We, I only had him for right under a year. Um, and he went back to the school and he was released early from the program. There were several things that went uh, awry there, which uh, I'm going to go ahead and put myself out there. Uh, A big one was my own maturity. (laughs) I was not ready for that responsibility. Um, But Guiding Eyes gave me that chance, and I'll forever be grateful because they did let me know that a guide dog was definitely what I needed in my life at some point, um, but also showed me what kind of responsibility it can be. Now, my second dog from them I had for four years, He retired early due to some complications. But one thing that I found with training with both of these dogs is that I was in, this was before they shortened their training. So I did their 26-day training both times. And what I found was I had been trained in New York with these dogs for 26 days. I had trainers constantly at my side. Then when I got home, it was a completely different situation. It was kind of like starting all over with the dog again. But I didn't have that trainer there. I was throwing the dog into situations that he had never been trained in because I didn't live in a busy city like New York. Um, I lived in a tiny little town. um, And then 
you know, the dog was in high school with me, which I went to a residential blind school. So it was tiny compared to most high schools. Um, My second dog did go with me to Chicago for a couple of years, but we didn't really get a lot of work there because I didn't feel safe in Chicago, not because of him, but just Chicago as a whole. Um, so, you know, it, I was very, it was difficult for me to switch over what I had learned in New York city with the experiences I had there to my own lifestyle. So when I went to, when I applied for a third dog, which is, uh, with Fidelco, um, one reason I went with them was because they only do home training. Um, another reason was I absolutely wanted a shepherd this time. And that is the only dog that they breed and train. Um, what I found with home training is that I am in a comfortable area. Um, the dog is brought to me. We have a trainer for 12 to 15 days, depending on whether you're a first time handler or a retrain. Um, I did a 12-day training. Um, But what I found was, you know, I had that trainer by my side, absolutely my trainer from day one till the end. Um, My dog was allowed to get used to me and my travels, what was going to be useful in my life. And, you know, they picked her for me because of the type of city I live in and the kind of travel that I do. I think it made our bond stronger. And it made me more comfortable once the trainer was gone that I could handle whatever came at us because this was my home area and we had learned each other in that area. And that made such a big difference with Eva and I as a team. That's awesome. So you said that you got your first dog in high school, right? What Can yes. we talk about a little bit? What ages do guide dog schools in the U.S. primarily allow you to apply for a guide dog? Typically, they want you to be at least 16. Um, However, some schools may not accept someone that young. Um, I I actually see a lot of people getting them younger now. There is one school. uh, Where is this school? I believe it's Mira. Is that the name yeah, of Mira? Yeah, I think um, they they're have, in Canada, but they have a U.S. branch. Yes, I think that is the only school that will accept someone. I believe their youngest age is either 11 or 12. Oh, my goodness. Yes, and I can understand why they may want to provide that, but you need to be an extremely responsible preteen, yep. in my opinion. Yep. Dogs are not yeah. something you had at hand to a child. Now, I'm not downing the people who have gotten a dog and done well at that age. If you can do it, I, I envy that. But I know when I was 11 or 12, there's no way I could have handled yeah. a dog. From my understanding, the parent fills out the application. Mm-hmm. I would say that... If you as a parent think that a dog will suit your child, be sure that your child actually wants it and is ready to take on that responsibility because it is a huge commitment. That yes, is all very much. That is all we're going to say about that comment, but um <laughs> and I actually was 16 when I got my first dog. Okay. I was in high school. I was I believe I was a sophomore or a junior. Okay. In high school. Okay. Oh, wow. Is there anything else that you want to add about home training besides 
the ability to just feel comfortable in your environment. Um, one thing I, I love about at least Fidelco's training, and I, I think any school that that gives their handlers home training does this. I've just never been through those programs, but I can speak on Fidelco's behalf with, you know, um, they add your daily life into into the training. Uh, while Eva and I were being placed, I had a doctor's appointment, so we made that a part of our training that day. We went to the doctor's office. We sat. We waited. I did what I needed to do. My doctor met my dog and, you know, knew that she would be coming in with me from then on. He was actually also the doctor that filled out my medical forms for me to be able to uh, go with Fidelco as well. Um so, you know, they used that. Um, I needed to do grocery shopping. So we took that time to train with um, the cart, with the follow command, um, with healing properly. If I'm holding on to a cart versus following someone who may be helping me. Um, so we they take your daily life activities in, and incorporate that into training. And I think that makes a lot of difference because they don't look at your city before you get there and just map out routes for you to walk. They want, if you're going to be training with this dog, they want you to do what you normally do um, so that the dog knows what it's, what it's going to be expected to do. Um, for people who have a nine-to-five job, they do ask that you take at least the first week and a half off of work. Um, no or at least a week to a week and a half off of work. And then they will start helping you integrate your dog into the workplace and with your uh, fellow employees if you have that type of job. So they also work their home training around your work situation as well. Oh, wow. Okay, so oh, cool. I have another question. So mm -hmm. um, most guide dog schools do formal harness training for about three to four months average. And most guide dogs are placed between 15 to 18 months right that is a fact yes. but as for fidelco yes. at what age are the dogs placed typically two years old or older um eva turned two during our training they like to let their shepherds tend to be that you know high strung they're very uh opinionated right. creatures right <laughs> to put mm -hmm. it nicely um so they they tend tend to take a little bit longer to mature in some areas. So Fidelgo likes to give their dogs every chance for success. And if that means keeping them in training longer, they'll do that. They've had dogs, uh, typically they place them around two years old. Or they have had some dogs that they've waited until almost three right. years of age right, to place. Right, exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so they, I believe that they are with their razors until at least 16 months, okay. uh, 16 to 17 mm -hmm. months, and then they're back in for formal training. Now, during this time with their trainers, they're not completely kennel bound. Um, the trainers do take them home with them so that they can evaluate their house manners, right. work on that as well. So, uh, where most schools they're raised, they're brought back to the schools. They stay in the kennels and, and they're trained um, until they're placed with a handler. They are in those kennels. Fidelco, you know, they the dogs that are being trained, they have their turns with the trainers. 
uh, they go home with the trainers, they're in the offices with the trainers. And so they're not completely uh, kenneled until they're placed, which I think has also mm-hmm. made a difference in the type of uh, the type of training that Fidelco gives. Oh, I did not know that. That is really, that's interesting. Yeah. Yes. And with also with Fidelco, with their razors, their razors have to be within driving distance of the school, oh, wow. no more than two hours away from the school because they have to bring their puppies in to puppy classes. I believe it's either every weekend or every other weekend because Fidelco likes to see what kind of progress is being made. And if there are any issues that they go on and are able to nip that in the bud in the beginning so that they're not uh, bringing in a dog at 16 months that, that has issues that the razors haven't been able to solve. So they don't typically uh, have razors across the, the states. Oh, wow. I did not know that. Oh, Yeah, I love that part That a is lot. really <laughs> cool. So... Another fact that I'm going to bring up is there are different schools in the U.S., Philadelphia being one of them. The most that you'll probably have heard more about, though, are the Seeing Eye, which is in Morristown, New Jersey. Now, the Seeing Eye was the first guide dog school in the U.S. A little bit of history about guide dogs is actually the first guide dog school in the world was in Germany or Switzerland. I can't remember, uh, but it's one of those two countries. And that's... I believe it was Germany. Right. And that, I believe, started after the Second World War, I think. I believe so, yeah. yes, with uh, Frank Morris. Yep. Yes. Yeah, mm-hmm. and he got Buddy, which was the first seeing eye dog. But yeah, that that's just a short version of the history. I'm not going to dive too much in there, but... Um, if you are very interested, you could always Google that. Um, and also the second most popular guide dog school that we have here in the U.S. is Guide Dogs for the Blind in San Rafael, California. And they also have another campus in Boring, Oregon. And yeah, they're like the Nike and Adidas of guide dog schools, but... There, yeah, pretty much. <laughs> but there are several other smaller schools in the U.S., which are great. Again, I'm not going to really talk about each school because that would take so much time out of this podcast, and each school is different. They say that applying for a guide dog, if you're going to go through a program, it's like applying for colleges. So meet the school that meets your needs. And another fact that I'm going to add in is most schools do teach treat-based training while others teach traditional methods. And the common breeds that you normally see for guide work are the Labrador, the Golden Retriever, the German Shepherd, and now the Poodle for people that have allergies. So can we get back a little bit to treat uh, to uh, training? So what kind of training does Fidelco teach? Um, from what I have gathered from trainers... Um, they don't have one specific method with their with their dogs. They work with what the dog responds to the best. If that dog responds to treats, they do treat training. If that re- dog prefers praise, they do praise training. Um, I believe that Eva, Eva was not a very food-motivated dog in the beginning. Um, I don't believe she was treat trained a lot, Um but that's also because she's very picky. 
if you give her a treat and she doesn't like it, you may be giving it to her for a good job, but if she doesn't like it, she'll spit it right out on the street. She's like, nope, don't want that. So, oh, wow. Um, they tend, and, and a lot of shepherds are not food motivated, which is another reason people like right. them. Um, is because, you know, sometimes you can have a dog that's too food motivated and is more focused on your treat pouch than actually doing the job. Mm -hmm. So from what I have learned with Fidelco, they kind of go off what's best for the, for the dog they're training. Now their training methods in general are the same, but whether they use treats or praise, uh, just depends on the dog. Okay. That's really good. Um, good to know. And you gave us Information that I didn't even know about Fidelco. Is there anything else that you want to add? Um, I can't think of anything right off the top of my head. I mean, the, the staff and, and trainers at Fidelco are awesome. Um, you know, uh, the, the office staff are always willing to talk to you either on the phone, via email. Um, they do since... Fidelco is one of the smaller schools because they only do home training and specialize in one breed. Sometimes the wait list can be a little longer. Um, thankfully for me, I, they told me I was a pretty easy match. So I, I, from beginning of application process to training, I think it was about seven months. Um, but I know there are people who have waited almost a year oh, wow. or more. Um, yeah, so they, and they only have three trainers that, uh, at this time that travel, they have other trainers that stay and train in and around Fidelco's area, uh, Connecticut, New Hampshire, uh, those areas. Um, but they only have three traveling trainers and I think there's only two trainers out of those three that can train in California because I believe they have to have a special uh, training permit for California, if I remember oh, correctly. Wow. Yeah, so it, they the, the typical wait time for Fidelco, they will tell you from the beginning, it could be as long as a year, maybe a little more for a match uh, because they are such a small school. But the family, the Fidelco family, as we call it, is is unlike any other that I've heard of. And I know everybody loves their school, um, but with a smaller school, and I, I've felt more at home with Fidelco than I did with Guiding Eyes. But that could also be um, because I was so very young when I went with Guiding Eyes. It 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 was a different experience for me. But Guiding Eyes was good to me as well. I don't want to make people think they weren't. They were. You know, they gave me that second chance with my second dog as well. The fact that it didn't work out was totally not their fault. So. Right. Kimberly, do you have anything? Sure. Can you remind us how long your training took? I had a 12-day training because I was a uh, experienced handler I, with the two dogs before. But typically, if you're a first-time handler, um and a first-time handler with Fidelco, the, the training is 15 days. Okay. Okay. And then one last thing. I know that with um, I've observed that different schools teach their, um, their guide dog owners 
different commands and I've heard a lot of different ones meaning the same thing. Can you just um, go through the commands that you use on your dog? Um, the All the commands that typical obedience commands are the same, sit, down, come, stay, leave it. Um, the only one that I found different from my previous trainings is halt, which is what we use instead of wait or stop. Oh, yeah. Uh, and I believe seeing eye uses that as well, or at least someone told me they used to. Um, but guiding eyes used wait. Uh, Fidelco uses halt, but everything else is the same. Forward, left, right. Um I'm trying to think if there's anything about, extra. About, Fidelco does about for turning around. Um, they call it an about face, but what you do is you you halt the dog, then you back yourself up and go into that right turn stance. So you turn your shoulders to the right, and you give the dog the command right, right, oh, right, right got until it. you are completely turned okay. around. But they do call it an about face okay. maneuver. Okay. Yeah, that was yes. the one thing that I wanted clarified because I'm like, oh, do they have a specific command for turning around or not? But yeah, it. Yeah. Okay. It's just like like everyone else. Okay. Yeah, and then there's also the come around command, which is. If you have gotten out of if there if your dog has gotten out of the heel position for some reason instead of having the dog heel typically that is a come to my left side and spin yourself around and bring your nose back to my left oh, leg. Wow. Um what they use is the come around which if your dog is in front of you you tell them come around and they walk in a full circle around you to your right and then come up from behind you. So instead of spinning their long bodies around in a circle on your left, they're able to just fall back in line with you um, by walking, you know, that, that half circle of back around you. Oh, okay. um, Which I oh. have found very, a lot easier in situations than the, than they do teach heel, come to heel, uh, which does the typical heel command, but come around... Uh, gives the dog more room to maneuver if you're in a tight aisle or something instead of having to spin in that circle to come back okay. to you. Okay, and then I do want to make another clarification with seeing eye. I don't believe they teach the dogs a command for stopping. I think if I have this correctly because a friend of mine who's had dogs from seeing eye did, did say this to me, she said that basically the dog stops when you stop. Yes, I've heard that as well. Um, so I'm not, that's what I was saying. I'm not sure if they still use halt. I think someone told me at one time they oh, did, okay. but they could have taken it out of their, uh, out of their commands okay. as well. Got it. Okay. All right. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Absolutely. Anytime. This was fun. Yes, this was a lot <laughs> I of could fun. talk about Fidelco and guide dogs all day. Yes, yes. Thank <laughs> you so much for joining us with our little fact sheet. No problem. Thank you. And if anyone, uh, you know, if anyone that hears this, you know, they're more than welcome to add me on Facebook. My Facebook name is different than 
my then Kristen, I go by K Love Lee on there. So, you know, I'm always open for anyone to ask questions. So I want to make sure that people have that way of contact. Awesome. And I will be definitely um, putting in Fidelco's information in the description in the show notes below. And yes, and Tara is the main office. Um, She she takes the calls and that kind of thing. And she is absolutely amazing she's wonderful to talk to she's very upbeat and a lot of fun so well thank you for joining us absolutely all right folks well that was Kristen miller from texas